0: Welcome to another episode of the Buckets Ranch Show. We got a packed show today. We got some award predictions, or not even predictions, just I'm going to give you guys my NBA awards after the season because the season literally just ended yesterday. So we got a lot to talk about. We'll go through each award. We'll even add some of my own awards that I want to give out. And then we'll talk about the guys that were most dominant in each statistical category this season, some insane statistical feats, that were accomplished this season, and then we'll dive into the play-in. We'll talk about which teams made the play-in, which teams I'm picking to win the play-in games, and then we'll give a little sneak peek into the NBA playoffs. We'll talk about the teams and the players that have the most pressure headed into the postseason. We'll talk about the ceiling and floor for every team in the playoffs. And then we'll talk about the Los Angeles Lakers decision to fire Frank Vogel, their head coach, and what some of the players have to say about that. We got a very jam-packed show. So without further ado, let's get it started. Let's talk about the award races. And we're going to leave no suspense for later. We're going to start it off talking about the most valuable player. And this is a little bit controversial because I know it's a very close race, a very tight race. You got three guys that have been putting up absolute video game numbers all year long. They've been doing a little bit of everything for their team, and they're all winning a lot of basketball games out there. So the finalists, are clear. We got Joel Embiid, we got Nikola Jokic, and we got Giannis Antetokounmpo. My pick for MVP, not who I think is going to win the MVP, but who I would personally pick is the guy that has won MVP multiple times, the guy that's won Defensive Player of the Year, the guy that won a Finals MVP drop in 50 in a closeout game of the Finals this past season. I've got Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I believe to be the best player in basketball, the best player on the planet, he is my pick for MVP this year. And statistically, Giannis is doing a little bit of everything this season. He averaged 30 points a game. Think about that, 30 points a game. For someone that they said had no skill and all this, he was just a run-and-dunk guy. That's what people like to label him as because he didn't have the through the legs, behind the back, insane street ball handles and crossovers. But Giannis gets it done. He puts the ball in the basket, 30 points a game, giving you 12 rebounds a night, 6 assists. And his passing this year has been a lot better. It's improved significantly. And honestly, a lot of different things about his game improve on a year-in, year-out basis. No different this season. So he technically finished second in points per game because LeBron James didn't qualify for the scoring title we talked about in last week's episode. LeBron's team, the Lakers, will get to them a bit later. They missed the play-in tournament altogether, and LeBron James missed those games. So LeBron didn't qualify in terms of trying to get the scoring title. So Giannis technically finishes second in the scoring title race, and he's also a guy that's going to be named likely onto the first team all-defense. He's going to be a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. He will receive votes, a lot more votes for that award than Embiid and Jokic. Embiid and Jokic won't receive votes in all likelihood for that award. So Giannis doing it on both ends of the floor. And when we talk about the team success, the Bucks ever so slightly in terms of when Giannis is on the floor, have a slightly higher winning percentage than when the Sixers have Joel Embiid in the lineup. But their overall records are identical. And then Jokic's team is a couple games behind. And when you look at Giannis's Individual production. He basically splits the difference offensively. We talked about Embiid, who we're going to get to later. Embiid actually won the scoring title. And so his scoring has been the best out of those three this year in terms of the points per game. But Giannis is very close in that department, while also having the assist, similar to Nikola Jokic, who is by far the best passer and playmaker out of these three guys. And then we talked on the defense first team caliber. So Giannis is basically doing a little bit of everything. And you're going to find when you're comparing these guys by categories or aspects of the game, Giannis is probably not finishing third in very many, if any of these categories, he's going to be in the top two, and oftentimes probably number two. So that, that just shows you how well-rounded his case is. He's doing a little bit of everything out there. And then the wins category, in terms of the winning percentage, he's going to finish first in that as well. So that's why I have Giannis for MVP. I just think he's been slightly better than Jokic and Embiid. So in terms of the season, I think he's probably had the best season. But I don't think he's going to receive the MVP award just because of voter fatigue. The dude's already won the MVP two times back-to-back and I believe Jokic will probably win the MVP back-to-back this year. Uh, It sucks for Joel Embiid because he's having a phenomenal year, and for a lot of the year, he was my pick to win the MVP. I just think down the stretch, uh, the whole deal with James Harden, like James Harden has been brought in to the Sixers to try to make Embiid's job easier, and Embiid is definitely scoring the ball even better, and he's been able to focus More on the scoring aspect of this game, but James Harden has really not lived up to completely what he was supposed to be since coming to the 76ers, although he's been a very, very good player, and he's given you a heck of a lot more than he was getting from Ben Simmons for the first half of the year. And when he didn't have Ben Simmons on the court at all, and he was still winning games, he was still putting up ridiculous stats, that was when a lot of people, myself included, were like, okay, Joel Embiid is the MVP of the league. And then Jokic all year long. I mean, the dude leads the Nuggets in basically every stat. He's in the top 10 in nearly every stat. His advanced stats, although I'm not as big on those, they're ridiculous. They're off the charts. So there's a lot of a case for Nikola Jokic to win the MVP award. And I believe he will get it. And when we talk about wins, despite not having Jamal Murray, despite not having Michael Porter Jr., the Nuggets are still winning games. And in fact, Jokic... Because he's been the most available, he's played slightly the most games, he actually has one more win than Giannis or a uh, Joel Embiid. He has more wins than both of them slightly, although the winning percentage is the lowest of the three. But, I mean, we talk about guys out the lineup. We talked about Joel Embiid having some guys out the lineup, Jokic having some guys out the lineup. Let's not forget that Giannis has played most of this season without Brook Lopez. Brook Lopez has played just 13 games this year. And you have guys like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton who have each missed about 15 games. And when you have the core four from the championship team last year, when you talk about Brooke Lopez in the middle as the rim protector, you have Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis on the floor. They're 8-1 with those guys. They've only played nine games with those four players, which is absolutely absurd to think about. And they've been dominant in those games, including two victories over the Brooklyn Nets. And they beat a handful of other very quality teams too. So it's not like some cherry pick stat where they're going up against these trash teams. Like that's the core that won the championship last year. So, and Lopez is a big piece of that. And not having Lopez on the floor has made it so that Giannis has had to do even more in terms of being the rim protector. And he's had to carry even more of a load defensively because, the Bucs weren't as elite defensively as they've been in years past, and a lot of that is because they didn't have Brook Lopez in the middle, which allowed Giannis to roam a little bit more, be free safety. Now he's got to be the backside help. He's got to be the guy that's literally at the rim at nearly all times. So got to give props to Giannis for the year he's had. Either of these players are deserving. My vote would go to Giannis. I have Embiid. Number two, and then I'd have Nikola Jokic number three. Again, all close, all splitting hairs, but Jokic would probably get it, and I won't be mad at it whatsoever. Next up, let's talk about the Defensive Player of the Year. And this was a little bit trickier because you don't have a clear cut top three. You have a lot of guys you could throw in to the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. You got guys like Mikel Bridges, guys like Marcus Smart, even Robert Williams from the Boston Celtics as well has put himself into this consideration. And you have Rudy Gobert. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, numerous guys that you could throw in there. Draymond Green was the clear pick for Defensive Player of the Year before he went down. And then kind of took himself out of the race because he hasn't played nearly enough games. But here's what I came up with as my top three for the Defensive Player of the Year. Number one for me, Jaron Jackson Jr. Number two, Bam Adebayo. And number three, Rudy Gobert. And the big knock on Bam Adebayo, just I don't think he played enough games, 56 games to qualify for the defensive player of the year. I don't know if that's quite enough. I'm pretty sure a, a guy has won defensive player of the year with that few games, but this year, I just don't think I could personally do it, uh, especially considering the defensive season that Jaron Jackson Jr. has had. But Rudy Gobert, doing what Rudy Gobert does basically every single year, carrying the Utah Jazz defense, anchoring it as a rim protector. But it's harder when he's in space. It's harder when he's got to switch out and guard these perimeter oriented players. And in the postseason, we know it's just, he's going to be, he's getting cooked. You know, it is, it is what it is, you know. But we're talking about regular season awards. So for a regular season award, Rudy Gobert is definitely in this conversation. He's already won three Defensive Player of the Years. But here's why I would go with Jaron Jackson Jr. And a lot of the similar arguments that people would make for Rudy Gobert in years past apply to Jaron Jackson Jr. here, and he also plays very well in space. So Jaron Jackson Jr. is a stellar rim protector, and he is the anchor for a top five defense in the league when you talk about the Memphis Grizzlies and their defensive rating. And he ranks first in total blocks. He ranks first in blocks per game, and he ranks first in what they call stocks, which is basically steals plus blocks together. So the two main counting stats for defense, Jared Jackson Jr. combined is, is basically has that on lock. Like he's got the triple crown in in that aspect. So to speak Uh, his versatility defensively, like I touched on a little bit before it's been great. He can switch out and he can guard perimeter players more. He did have a problem in years past where he's committing way too many fouls. He still fouls a decent amount, but it's not as bad as it once was. And the very impressive figure for Jaron Jackson Jr. is that teams are shooting less than 50% at the rim on Jaron Jackson Jr. When you compare that to some of these other candidates, it's by far the best percentage. And so for those reasons, I believe Jaron Jackson Jr. deserves defensive player of the year. I believe based on what people are, are saying, like in terms of what people are saying in the media, like what, what's going around, it seems like Marcus Smart is getting a lot of buzz for this award which is much uh, deserving. You know, he, he's a guy that is probably the best or one of the best guard defenders in the NBA this year, and he's doing it for the team that's been the best defense all year. A lot of the pushback, though, from Marcus Smart is a lot of people are throwing Robert Williams into the conversation. So they're really saying, who's really the most impactful defender on the Boston Celtics? Is it Robert Williams and his rim protection or is it Marcus Smart and what he does on the perimeter, switching and, and all that type of stuff. So I think they may split votes from each other, but uh, he, he's definitely a guy you can definitely mention in this conversation. But, yeah, I'm going to give it to Jerry Jackson Jr. personally because, I mean, a lot of Memphis Grizzlies success has come because of his, his stifling defense. So shout-out to him. Shout-out to all these guys in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. Next up, Rookie of the Year. And Rookie of the Year is a little bit of an easier one now for me, I would say. And it's been this way for the majority of the season, although there's been a push late by guys like Cade Cunningham. But my pick for Rookie of the Year would be Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Evan Mobley uh, this season put up 15 points per game, eight rebounds a game, averaging nearly two block shots for a Cavs team that has greatly exceeded expectations. They won 44 games. This year, a lot of people expected them to clearly be back in the lottery. Now they got to play their way into the playoffs, but there is a decent chance that they could still make the playoffs, which is very impressive given where they were supposed to be before the year. And to me, what separates Evan Mobley from a guy like Scotty Barnes, who finished second in my rookie of the year race, is although they're putting up nearly similar numbers offensively, uh, they're basically identical across the board, their their stats offensively. What Evan Mobley is doing defensively, his defensive impact is just greater and significantly greater than what Scottie Barnes is bringing to the table. Scottie Barnes has a lot of length and versatility defensively, but he doesn't really va- uh, like have the same rim protection value that an Evan Mobley has. So that's why I would go with Evan Mobley, but Scottie Barnes very close and the Raptors also have overachieved significantly and they're in the position right now where they're Locked into the playoffs. They're the five seed right now. So shout out to Scotty Barnes and his team for that. I mean, both of these guys are not the best players on their team. Uh, Evan Mobley's working with Darius Garland. And for a lot of the year, Jared Allen, who are both all-stars. And then you have Fred Van Fleet, who was an all-star for the Raptors. And then Pascal Siakam, who definitely had an all-star caliber. And a lot of people are putting buzz for him making all-NBA team that type of a season for Pascal Siakam. So it's not like these guys are the driving forces of their team, but they're key impact players as rookies, uh, and they're contributing on winning teams. And then third, I would have Cade Cunningham. And Cade, maybe you could say second half of the year, he's been definitely the best rookie. But when you look at the season overall, he just has not. And his efficiency across the board just not what you expect from Cade Cunningham. And I believe he is the best prospect from this draft class. I believe when we look back on this draft class, he will be the clear standout guy. Although I like Jalen Green, who, again, similar to Cade Cunningham, has turned it up second half of the season. But in terms of the rookie of the year race this year, that's how I'm going. Evan Mobley, number one, Scotty Barnes, number two, and Cade Cunningham, number three. Next up, we're going to touch on the most improved player award. And this was an award that, similar to Defensive Player of the Year, you could just throw so many names out there. Like even guys like Miles Bridges, Desmond Bain, like John ja Morant, even. Like there's so many names to throw out. And so when I had to narrow this down to three guys, it was very tough. Even a guy like Afrani e. Simons. I just want to make sure I'm shouting out these guys that have improved significantly this year. But I had to narrow it down to three. So the three I narrowed it down to was DeJounte Murray, Tyrese Maxey, and Jordan Poole. And my pick was DeJounte Murray. And when you look at DeJounte Murray, his jump this season, it's been felt in multiple aspects of the game. This dude is averaging about five more points per game. He's averaging four more assists per game and slightly raises efficiency across the board. So even though the volume, yes, it has gone up, the efficiency has slightly gone up as well. So that's very impressive. You don't see that very often. He made his first all-star game this season, and he actually led the league in steals this year, averaging two steals a game. So a very well-rounded profile. We already knew that DeJounte Berry was a guy that could play really great defense on the ball. He'd already made an all-defensive team, but to lead the league in steals, about half half more steal per game, Like he was averaging like 1.5 steals last year, now he's up to two steals a game, so to even take a jump in that aspect, Wall being a far more effective offensive player, averaging nearly nine assists a game, he's averaging about eight rebounds and averaging over twenty points a game, like just a completely well-rounded profile for Dejounte Murray. Not to mention the San Antonio Spurs retained their their seating from last year despite losing their best player in DeMar DeRozan. They still were able to make it to the 10 seed this year to make it into the play-in tournament. So props to DeJounte for that, and he missed some time at the end of the year, but the Spurs were still able to get in there, thanks to my Lakers, you know, but they were able to get it done. So props to DeJounte Murray doing it for a team that's at least competitive this year. And then some other guys I threw into the conversation, Tyrese Maxey. I almost picked Tyrese Maxey. Like, it was very, very close for me. And a lot of people say what they say about a second-year player. Like, Of course, you're expected to make a jump from your rookie year to your sophomore season. That's what a lot of people say. But you're not just supposed to make the type of jump that Tyrese Maxey made this year with the Philadelphia 76ers. Tyrese Maxey went from a guy that was a 30% shooter from three. 30%. And he is now second in the league in three-point percentage this year. He's shooting nearly 43% from deep, and his scoring efficiency and and just his overall scoring production has definitely increased significantly across the board. This dude's like a 17, 18 point per game score this year, and he had to do it with a completely new role. With Ben Simmons being out and him being the point guard, Tyrese Maxey had to be the point guard. He had to be the main distributor and and run the offense for the Philadelphia 76ers. And then when James Harden got there mid season, he then had to adjust his game even more. And he had to be more of a spot up guy and get his looks where he could, you know, as an off ball player again. So he had to adjust multiple times and it didn't really significantly hurt his production. He was still giving you great numbers across the board. And you just look at his game. He's just such a crafty finisher around the rim too. Like, You see some of the acrobatic layups that he makes. Like Salute to Tyrese Maxey. That man has definitely improved significantly, and I almost wanted to give him the award. I think I'm leaning DeJounte, though, but Tyrese Maxey's great at the second spot. And then Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole was my preseason pick. Coming into the season, I thought Jordan Poole was going to win most improved, and I thought he was going to average about 18 points a game. That's what he's averaging this year. Went from about 12 points per game to about 18. And his efficiency across the board is still very, very good, you know. And and you just watch him play. And it's just he, he puts up some ridiculous numbers, but he's also just making incredible plays out there. As a playmaker, he's significantly improved. As a distance shooter, he's hitting really deep, nearly logo shots now. Like, Jordan Poole is going to be very, very good in this league for a very, very long time. And he's showcasing that this season for a Golden State Warriors team That is much improved overall. They have a much better roster. Klay Thompson's back, putting up numbers, averaging 20 a game. But still, Jordan Poole was still that guy, you know. And despite the injuries and everything, Jordan Poole has stepped up when his team needed him. And this was something that just simply was not happening last year. When the Warriors got bounced in the play-in tournament, Steph was having to create all of the offense for this team. And if they would have had a guy like Jordan Poole out there who was – taking a little bit of pressure off of Steph, another guy that the defense had to focus on, they wouldn't have been able to play quite the same level of defense that they played on Steph in that play-in tournament. So Jordan Poole, shout out, much improved, but the most improved for me is DeJounte Murray. Tyrese Maxey comes in number two, Jordan Poole and number three. Next up, six man of the year. This one was clear cut, the most clear cut of any of the awards. My six man of the year is Tyler Hero. And Tyler Hero, he's leading the league in bench scoring 21 points per game, shooting about 40% from deep, and he's doing it for the one seed in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat. And although Kevin Love's having a really great bounce-back season off the bench, he's shooting well from three. Although Cam Johnson has been a sniper in terms of his three-point shooting as well for the Phoenix Suns. Tyler Hero has just overall been the best guy off the bench, and he's doing it for the most impact in terms of the team's the one seed. And a lot of nights, Tyler Hero is the Miami Heat's go-to option offensively. Like, he's their number one option. And on a team that some nights is having Jimmy Butler out there and they're having Bam Adebayo out there, the fact that you're going to the guy off your bench to be your go-to offensive option speaks volumes. So... And they're winning a lot of games because of Tyler Hero. So he definitely gets the nod from me as a six man of the year. Next up, coach of the year. Coach of the year for me is Monty Williams. And he's basically running laps around the entirety of the NBA. And the Suns were eight games clear, the next best team. And they had a top five offensive and defensive rating this year. They had the best net rating in all of basketball. And you want to say, oh, he just had a great team. You know, he's not really doing that much. Well, they had a winning record without Devin Booker. They had a winning record without cp 3 And they had a winning record without DeJounte Murray. So all their stars, I mean, they were still winning games. If you take one or two of those guys out the lineup, they're still winning games a very deep team, and they were basically plugging in role players like Cameron Payne, JaVale McGee, like Cam Johnson, Landry Shammott. They were plugging these guys into the lineup, and they were basically not receiving much, if any, of a drop-off. So you got to tip your cap to Monty Williams for doing a heck of a job coaching that team. And last year, he was definitely in the race, and he didn't win it because Tom Thibodeau, what he did for the Knicks, turning them around, And I want to give props to Taylor Jenkins and what he's doing with the Memphis Grizzlies and how they've been able to perform second best record in the NBA. Nobody expected that. And they've been ridiculously good without John Morant too. They've had a similar thing where they're plugging and playing guys in the lineup. But this year it's, it's clearly Monty Williams in my opinion, just the laps that he's and his team has run uh, over the league. And a lot of the same cases you can make for Taylor Jenkins, you can make for, Monty Williams and he's just got eight more wins under his belt so I'm giving it to Monty but props to Taylor Jenkins also shout out to Ime Udoka the Boston Celtics the Celtics transformed their season they were around the 9 or 10 spot in the play in tournament very early on to the season honestly around like Christmas time I want to say and they completely turned their season around they've been super hot second half of the season and they're now the two seed In the Eastern Conference, he had to convince Tatum, Brown, and these other guys to have more ball movement and player movement into their offense. And defensively, he transformed this team's defense. And they've been leaps and bounds above everybody else in defense this year. So a lot of that turnaround is thanks to Ime Odoka. Yes, he has the personnel, but Brad Stevens and other guys in the past, you know, they they had the personnel too uh, with Brad for multiple years. And Yes, they had some really good defensive years, but they've had nothing like what we've seen from the Boston Celtics in the second half of the season. So a big testament to Emil Odoka. They did need that fresh voice in the locker room, and I believe he is delivered to even exceed Boston's expectations. A lot of people were not even happy with him at the earlier point of the year, and I think that hurts him a little bit. The fact that the team did start off slow, and there were some rumblings about him, but Even Tatum said in a podcast that he had to, like, it took him time to really buy into the philosophy that he was having. And the fact that they went with two bigs in the starting lineup with Al Horford and Robert Williams, it was definitely an adjustment for what the Celtics had done in the past. So they had to adjust. They had to figure it out, work it out. But they did. And they're very grateful for Ime Odoka and for what he's done for that team, transforming their season. So now we're going to talk about some of my created awards, just a couple, uh, more so entertainment sake. I believe they should have an offensive player of the year. I think it's kind of ridiculous that they don't have an offensive player of the year. You have a defensive player of the year and offense is like, a lot of times they'll be like, okay, the best offensive player is usually winning MVP. That's what they'll say. But no. You need to own award for offense. Offense is more valuable than defense, especially on a night in, night out basis in the regular season. You got to have the guys that are generating the buckets out there. They got to get an award. And for me, the offensive player of the year would be Trey Young. Trey Young, which we'll touch on a bit later, he led the NBA in total points and total assists this year. He finished top five in both per game categories and he was an absolute maestro this year, shooting over 38% from deep and getting into the paint, hitting his free throws. Such a complete offensive weapon, and we've touched on him in numerous podcasts before, but he definitely deserves the Offensive Player of the Year. Nobody on the offensive side of the ball has been better than him this season, and you got to get an award for it. Like There's no reason he shouldn't have an award for it, and... He's tied with Luka in terms of the three guys that I really consider for Offensive Player of the Year. Luka, Trey, and Jokic were the guys I put in this conversation. And in terms of points per game, Luka and Trey are tied at top of points per game. And then Jokic is third. Field goal percentage is definitely Jokic. Trey is second and Luka's third. Trey leads those three in three-point percentage, followed by Luka and then Jokic. He leads in free-throw percentage, and he leads in assists per game. And when you look at points per game generated when you look at how many points are being put on the scoreboard because of Trey Young assists he's also leading in that category so he basically wipes the floor uh, with those other two candidates I put Luka second and Jokic at third I do believe Luka's offense goes to another level in the postseason which is why he's still a better player to me and he can just do it at that size you know and Jokic too I mean, he does a lot more on the defensive side of the ball and just he's got seven foot seven foot size, which Trey Young is not blessed with, but still putting up ridiculous scoring production. So he's my offensive player of the year. The biggest overachievers this year to me are the Memphis Grizzlies. Definitely. And having the second best record in the league, I don't think anybody saw that coming before the year. I didn't even think I had them in the playoffs. Coming into the season, and a lot of guys stepped up and including John Morant, who became like kind of a fringe MVP candidate this year or well, also being a most improved player candidate. So he definitely got a lot better. I talked on Jaron Jackson's defensive impact. You go down the line, even the Steven Adams trade ended up working out for the Grizzlies. He's definitely the type of player that fits their culture and their system. Although he is worse, in my opinion, than, than Jonas Valentunas, but ended up working out for the Grizzlies. And then having a guy like Desmond Bain also being most improved talks and being a sniper from three. They have a very, just very complete team. And they've been missing Dylan Brooks for a decent amount of time, too. So props to the Grizzlies. They're definitely my biggest overachievers. Biggest underachievers, definitely also clear the Los Angeles Lakers. My Los Angeles Lakers winning 33 games on the season and all the drama and the turmoil that they had this season as a team that was given championship expectations before the year, at least to make it to the Western Conference Finals, to make it out of the Western Conference. These were all things that people saw as what they should be expected to do, given the amount of talent that was on their roster. And yes, you could say they had injuries. Yes, you could say a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, they fell way short of even the lowest possible bar you could have for them, which is making the play in tournament. They failed that bar. So definitely, arguably the most disappointing team ever. Definitely the most disappointing team, biggest underachieving team I've ever seen personally. So those are my kind of fun extra awards. Uh, and so offensive player of the year, Trey Young, you got overachievers, the Grizzlies, underachievers, the Lakers. We go through my awards really quickly. Overall, Giannis is the MVP. Jaron Jackson is Defensive Player of the Year. Rookie of the Year is Evan Mobley. Most Approved Player, DeJounte Murray. Sixth Man of the Year, Tyler Hero. Coach of the Year, Monty Williams. So now we can transition quickly. Talk about Embiid winning the scoring title. We had a big three-man race going into the final week of the season. LeBron basically took himself out of the race because of his injury. Not being able to stay on the court. Giannis had one game where I believe he dropped 18, or another game where he dropped close to 22, kind of took him out of the race. So, Joel Embiid, 30.6 points per game. He won the scoring title. He became the first big man to win the scoring title in 22 years since Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal in about the 2000 season, he was the last guy to win the scoring title as a center. Props to Embiid for that. That's Wildly impressive. Some other nice figures about Embiid. He was first in the NBA this year in 40-point games with 10 rebounds. He was first in 30-point games. He finished top 10 in rebounding. He also finished top 10 in blocks. So props to Embiid. Very elite season regardless of whether he wins the MVP or not. Definitely one for the history books. And we look at some of the other stat leaders. Gobert averaged about 15 rebounds a game, leading the league in rebounds. Chris Paul averaged 11 assists per game, leading the league in assists. Uh, Two steals a game for DeJounte Murray, leading the league. Touched on that before. Jaron Jackson Jr., leading the league in blocks, 2.3 per game. And then Gobert, who's getting most of his looks right at the basket, leading the league in field goal percentage, 71%. And then Luke Canard shot 45% from three, leading the league in three-point percentage. Okay, so we touched on the Trey Young stat. So officially for the points and assists, he finished the year with 2,155 points. and then he finished the year with 737 assists. So he's going to end up leading the NBA both in total points and total assists. And he's the first player to do that since... Nate Tiny Archibald in the 1972-1973 season. So it's literally been like 50 years since this fee has been accomplished. So major props to Trey Young. And this is one that literally it's it's two players in history have done this. So you, you really are in the league company there. And Archibald is a Hall of Famer. I believe he got named to the top 50 players of all time list. So elite company. And then when you factor in what he did in college, one of the biggest reasons I was a believer of Trey Young's coming into the draft is because he led the NCAA college basketball in points and assists. And he's the only player in the history of basketball to do that in both college and in the NBA. So well done, Trey Young. Salute. Talked about the players for this good portion of this episode. Now we're going to switch it over and talk about the teams. We got the play-in tournament set up, and I'm really looking forward to some of these games this year. We got the 7th seed right now being the Brooklyn Nets. The 8th seed is the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. The nine seed is the Atlanta Hawks, and then the 10th seed is the Charlotte Hornets, which gives us Hornets versus Hawks. The Hornets are going to be playing – at the Hawks, that's going to be a great game. LaMelo Ball, Trey Young, two of the top basically point guards for the future moving forward. So I'm going to take the Hawks in this game. I think it will be a close game. I don't think the Charlotte Hornets will completely stink the bed like they did last year in the play-in tournament. They got absolutely destroyed by the Indiana Pacers. I think they got more experience. They're going to know more what to expect this year, and they're going to put up a good fight, but I'm going to take the Hawks at the end of the day. It's going to be tough for them without John Collins, but I'm just putting my faith, my trust in Trey Young and, and what he's done this year. So the Hawks would then be moving on to play the loser of the Nets versus the Cavs, which I believe will be the Cleveland Cavaliers. I believe the Brooklyn Nets will win this game. I think it will be maybe a little bit more competitive than some people were expecting, but I think at the end of the day, the Brooklyn Nets will pull it out, and they'll make that seventh spot, which will give them a matchup with the Boston Celtics in the first round of the playoffs. So Nets right there at the seventh seed, and then the Hawks are going to be playing the Cavs for the eighth seed, and I'm going to actually take the Hawks in that one as well. So I'm going to have the Hawks making the playoffs as the eighth seed, And unfortunately, the Cleveland Cavaliers falling just short of making the postseason despite having a great season. But they could potentially get Jared Allen back, so that could definitely help them out. And depending on whether or not the Hawks have John Collins, they could sneak into that eighth spot, but I'm going to say that the Hawks make the playoffs. Next up, Western Conference. We have... The seventh seed being the Minnesota Timberwolves. The eighth seed is the Los Angeles Clippers. The nine seed is the New Orleans Pelicans. And the 10th seed is the San Antonio Spurs. There's a lot of pushback with the Western Conference play-in in in particular because it's not as close as the Eastern Conference play-in. In In terms of the Minnesota Timberwolves have a four-game lead over the Los Angeles Clippers for the seventh seed. And a lot of people don't believe that a team that is that far ahead should have to even play in a play in for their seventh spot. They probably deserve to have the seventh spot outright. And I think I agree with that. I do believe I agree with that. So I personally wouldn't have the Timberwolves even having to play for their seed. And a lot of times a seventh seed is probably even secure regardless. Like I think the seventh seed should be good. It should be like the eight and the nine seed. The ten seed shouldn't really be involved either. And I say probably about like a two-game difference. Like if you're within two games of each other in the standings, then it makes sense to have a play-in because you're basically around the same point. And we'll really see it in one game. Who deserves the playoffs more? And we like those single elimination type of things. So we'll see. One game for the playoffs, what are we going to see? But in this scenario, I just don't see... Why the Timberwolves have to be in this position. They're 46 and 36, and they could potentially be eliminated by a team with 10 less wins than them when you look at the New Orleans Pelicans, who are at the eight spot, or excuse me, the nine spot, but they could get the eight spot depending on what the Timberwolves do in this game. So, seven versus eight game, I'm going to take the Timberwolves to beat the Clippers. I think because they have been so much better than these teams throughout the year, and yes, granted, Paul George has been out for a big chunk of time Norman Powell has limited games played with the Clippers and those guys have not been in the lineup for the Clippers for a lot of the season I still think though that the Minnesota Timberwolves are a better basketball team and Ty Lewis coaching can really make it a a toss-up but I'm going to trust Carl Anthony Towns especially to go out there and get close to 40 points and 15 rebounds and just absolutely dominate inside and outside because he's just that versatile of a player but I'm going to take the Timberwolves, and I'm going to take Cat, uh, Anthony Edwards. Like that, that team is very, very complete. And then Patrick Beverly, he's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after what happened with the Clippers and them not paying him, so they ended up trading him. That's going to be a nice battle within the battle there. I'm going to take the Timberwolves to get the 7th spot. And the Clippers, don't fear, because you guys have a good chance of getting the 8th seed, and I actually believe you will get the eight seed. You guys will beat the winner of the 9 versus 10 in my opinion, which is the Pelicans. I got the Pelicans beating the Spurs. I don't think the Spurs stand any chance. They're kind of just in here by default because the Los Angeles Lakers were so disappointing. I'm going to take the Pelicans to beat them, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and I do believe CJ and BI will give the Pelicans a chance to beat the Clippers, but at the end of the day, I think I'm going to lean with the Los Angeles Clippers in that one, so I'm going to give the Clippers the eight seed and the Timberwolves the seven seed out west. Next up, we're going to talk about some players with the most pressure in these NBA playoffs. And we're going to start with five, work our way up to one. This was a tough list to make. But at number five, I got Luka Doncic. And he unfortunately got injured most recently in their game, the last game of the season. And it sucks to happen. We'll see. What the update is, they're scheduled for an MRI. He had like a calf strain or something like that. Could take multiple weeks, but assuming Luca's healthy, assuming he's ready to go for the playoffs, they have about a week off before their playoffs start. I think Luca Don just has to get out the first round. He's already this caliber player, this upper echelon superstar player, and we're about to start having those top five player conversations with Luca. He's got to get out the first round despite him being phenomenal individually. He's finally getting a non-Clippers matchup. He's getting matched up with the Utah Jazz. It's time to make it out the first round of the playoffs, Luka. And I believe he will personally, but there's pressure in that regard for Luka Doncic. At number four, Kevin Durant. And there's been a lot of up and downs with the Brooklyn Nets this season. And it's completely understandable that they haven't reached expectations. Although I'm not giving them a pass. I mean, you still have James Harden for a big chunk of the season. You still had Kyrie Irving, and he's now full-time. You still have Kevin Durant. Like, obviously, they don't have Harden anymore, and the Ben Simmons thing is up in the air, but Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant should still be able to make some noise in the playoffs, and so I want to see it. I want to see them definitely get out to play in tournament. That's number one. And number two, if they're as good as they say they are, they should be able to beat the Boston Celtics in the first-round series. Like, that should not be some series where you look at the Nets, and you're like, oh, they should stand no chance. No, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant should be able to stand a chance in that first round series. So I say number four is Kevin Durant. You got to you gotta show up. You got to deliver. You got to get your team at least out of the play-in, at least out of the first round. Make some noise, Kevin Durant, with this Brooklyn Nets team because you got Kyrie and you got yourself. That should be enough. You got Seth Curry. You got some other nice pieces. You should be able to make some moves there. At number three, I'm gonna say Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler, you you've been been some offensively. I'm not gonna lie, you you've been missing a lot of shots, especially excuse me, especially outside of the paint. Gotta make some shots, and you're the one seed right now, and the Heat should be making a deep playoff run as long as Jimmy Butler is who he's supposed to be. So Jimmy. Make it happen. Make it happen. You guys should at least be in the Eastern Conference Finals competing for a championship if you show up and you perform. Number two, Stephen Curry. Steph, man, and I know he's coming off the injury. We got to see the update. But, Steph, you got Klay Thompson back. Klay Thompson's averaging 20 a game. Draymond's back playing great defense, doing a little bit of everything. Jordan Poole's in most improved talks. Andrew Wiggins, although he's struggling, he's struggling lately. He made the all-star team. This Warriors team is stacked. They're very complete. They're very deep. They should be the best team in basketball come playoff time, Steph Curry, if you're playing as you should be playing. You had one of your worst shooting years. You had the worst shooting year of your career. You struggled for your standards in the regular season, but you can make up for it with an elite playoff run and a championship. That's what I expect from you, Steph Curry, still being one of the best players in the world. Luka Doncic has been better than you this season. Trey Young has been better than you this season. There's guys at your own position that have been better than you this year. Before the season, I said Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA based on what he had done last year. Giannis is in the conversation. KB is in the conversation. Those guys have definitely passed him up to this point, especially Giannis. Steph, I want you to get back in that conversation for the best players in the NBA. I want you to cement your legacy in some people's eyes as the greatest point guard ever. I want you to win a finals MVP finally because you deserve to win it in 2015. And you have the roster to make some noise, to make it happen. I gave you the benefit of the doubt last year because your team was trash. And you were putting up 32 a game. You won the scoring title. You're the best offensive weapon in basketball. But this year, like I've said on numerous occasions, Trey Young has been that. So, Steph, I want to see you regain your throne in a lot of aspects. You got a lot of pressure to me. But no pressure greater than number one, James Harden. James, bruh. You forced your way out of Houston to go to the Brooklyn Super Team, and you got injured. So we give you a little bit of a break, but it just didn't work out. Even this year, starting it off in Brooklyn, you were – underperforming significantly coming off an injury with the rule changes a lot of a variety of factors but you just did not show up you did not produce and then you forced your way out of Brooklyn to come to Philly to play with MVP candidate Joel Embiid scoring champ Joel Embiid you better not stink it up in the postseason you better show up you better perform if you don't it feels like every year When I make these lists, James Harden's number one with the most pressure. Like, this is the year that James Harden should be able to go fall in the playoffs. This is the year that he's got to deliver. And year after year, there becomes a reason why he doesn't deliver. Or he just doesn't deliver. James, come on, man. Do it. Do it this year. Go deep. I'm not even saying necessarily you have to win a championship. Although you should, you really should. If you're that guy, you should. But at bare minimum, you got to, you got to hoop, You got to put up great numbers. You can't have elimination games where you're selling it for the team. If any, if you're, if Joel Embiid is selling it or somebody else is selling it, okay, we can somewhat live with that, James, but you got to show up. You got to deliver. So that's why James Harden is number one on my list. James Harden, number one. Steph Curry, number two. Jimmy Butler, number three. Kevin Durant, number four, and Luka Doncic, number five. And so next we're going to talk about the ceiling and floor for every playoff team or play-in team. And this could be relatively quick. We'll just rattle it down and, and basically see where I think these teams can potentially go or where they're at. Suns. I think the Suns clearly can win the NBA championship. They've been the best team, most dominant team all year long. Their floor is a Western Conference Finals exit. I don't see them getting bounced out within the first two rounds, especially the side of the bracket that they're on. Grizzlies. Surprisingly enough, I think the Memphis Grizzlies can make it to the NBA Finals. I don't think they can win a championship, but I think the Grizzlies can make it to the NBA Finals. They have the talent, they have the depth, they have the coaching to do so. It's gonna be tougher because you're going up against a team probably in Golden State in the second round that has a superstar. And John Morant is probably about at that superstar level, but he's just not on the level of a Stephen Curry. So that could be tough, but there's no reason the Grizzlies should not be able to make it to the NBA Finals. I don't see them winning a championship because likely they're going to go up against a team either with multiple superstar caliber players. Because if James Harden's playing like he needs to be playing, that's the way that the Sixers are going to make the Finals. So. I think that they'll have two superstars there, and then you'll have the best player in the NBA, Giannis, or you'll have two superstars, KD, Kyrie. If the Heat make the finals, hey, they have a chance, but I just don't see that happening. Uh, So the floor for the Grizzlies is a second-round exit because they'll be playing Golden State. I don't think they'll lose in the first round to the Timberwolves or Clippers. I know some people are trying to make that upset pick popular, but no. I think the Grizzlies will be fine in the first round. Warriors, their ceiling is the NBA champs. They should be the best team in basketball if everything works out. The floor for them is a second-round exit, losing to the Memphis Grizzlies. That just shows you that either A, the Grizzlies just had their number, they they just have a really good matchup with them, or a lot of stuff imploded with them in terms of injuries and whatnot. I will say if Steph Curry is out for the series or something like that because we don't know the injury Update on Steph Curry. I could then push that to a first-round exit because this team could go home in round one to Jokic and a bunch of role players if Steph Curry is not on the floor. That's just how much he means to this team. Dallas Mavericks, the ceiling for them is a second-round exit. To me, losing to the Phoenix Suns, a first-round exit is their floor. Utah Jazz, similar deal there. They could, I guess they could beat the Mavericks. I'm going to take the Mavericks, though, but they could make it to the second round. Lose to the Suns or lose in the first round to the Mavs. Nuggets, I think their ceiling is a first-round exit and their floor is a first-round exit. Again, with the disclaimer that if Stephen Curry is out for the series, then the Nuggets could win that series. So with that disclaimer in mind, I'm saying Nuggets don't get out the first round. Minnesota Timberwolves, their ceiling is a seven seed. Like They, they can make, make it into the playoffs win the play-in tournament. Get the seventh seed. Their floor is losing in the play-in. Losing both times in the play-in, which would really suck, which would really be disappointing. But it's possible. Single elimination is possible. Clippers, the ceiling for them is getting the seventh seed, and the same floor as Minnesota losing in the play-in tournament. Let's see. New Orleans Pelicans, their ceiling is the eighth seed because they can't qualify for seventh. And their floor is losing in the play-in. The Spurs, I'm not even going to say their ceiling is getting the AC. The Spurs got no chance. Respectfully, they have no chance. So, they're losing in the play-in. Like, <laughs> that's just what's going to happen. Ceiling and floor, just, they're done. Happy to be there. Move on to the Eastern Conference now. Talk about the Miami Heat. I think the Miami Heat ceiling is the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't see them making the finals, but they can make it to the Conference Finals. And because you don't know what you're going to get from the Miami Heat, and because potentially you could see a team like the Brooklyn Nets or the Atlanta Hawks at that eight spot, I think the floor for the Miami Heat is a first-round exit. I really do. I could see them losing in the first round of the playoffs, which would be insane given what they've done in this regular season. But yeah, it's possible. Celtics. ceiling is the NBA Finals. Floor is a first-round exit. I just think Jason Tatum and the status that he's on this year, I trust him a heck of a lot more than Jimmy Butler. I think he's a lot better than Jimmy Butler right now. And I believe in him, Jalen Brown, and and that's – I believe in their core, what they have defensively around Jason Tatum and Jason Tatum being the superstar that he is. I think their ceiling is higher than the Miami Heat's. But they have the same floor. That's how I look at it. And I think that if they get Robert Williams back, then they have a good chance of making the finals. Without Robert Williams, I don't see it. But if they have Robert Williams back, they can make the finals. Their floor is a first-round exit. Again, they got potentially the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. If that happens, they have a chance to go home. Simple as that. 76ers. They also have the ceiling of the NBA Finals, but actually even higher, they have the ceiling of NBA champions. Yes, NBA champions for the Philadelphia 76ers. And before y'all call me crazy or whatnot, if James Harden is playing like a superstar and Joel Embiid is playing like the MVP, like he's been playing like all year, Tyrese Maxey, most improved convo, Tobias Harris is actually somewhat producing on some nights. Thibos playing great defense you can't tell me that the Sixers don't have an opportunity a chance to make the NBA finals and win the NBA championship they would have the talent they would have enough top end guys that the depth is not going to be nearly as important you got four guys that can give you about 20 a game on a given night the Sixers would have enough but their floor is also first round exit because we know how James Harden is in the playoffs we know how sometimes Joel Embiid is in the playoffs Do we trust Doc Rivers? Hard to at this point. DeAndre Jordan is going to be getting playoff minutes. This team could lose in the first round. That's that's how bipolar the Philadelphia 76ers are. Uh, Rattle off some of these quickly. Raptors, the ceiling is second round. Exit, the floor is a first round exit. Chicago Bulls, first round exit is their ceiling. First round exit is their floor. (laughs) The Bulls, without Lonzo, they're not going anywhere. Nets. Ceiling is Eastern Conference Finals. If things break their way, I just don't see a team going from playing tournament to to winning the NBA championship. With especially given the roster that they have right now and, and all the variables that, that would have to go their way in order to do that, given the road to getting there for the Nets, I just don't see it. Uh, Floor is losing to the play in. <laughs> That's crazy. But yeah, it's it's a lot that can happen for the Brooklyn Nets. Cavs ceiling is a 7 seed, floors are playing exit. The Hawks, the ceiling is a second round exit cuz I actually believe like I touched on a little bit before if the Hawks make it into the playoffs and if they have John Collins healthy, they could win a first round series against the Miami Heat. They could. I'm not saying they would, but they could. And their floors are playing exit. They can lose in the play-in. Hornets. Ceiling is a first round exit, floors are playing exit. Hornets could make it to the 8 seed, but I don't see them doing much if they get there. That's basically going to do it. I'll touch on the Lakers thing quickly. We got a couple more minutes left, but that's the gist of this episode. AD made some comments about Frank Vogel excuse me, getting fired. And the timing of the Frank Vogel firing was very suspect. They fired him before we could even leave the court, according to reports. So that's, that's a bad look, but... AD had some quotes about believing that him and LeBron can still lead a team to a title, but he did admit that the duo needs to discuss, quote unquote, what changed since the bubble in terms of rebuilding a contender and the dynamic between the two of them. And all I got to say is this, AD, you were the one that changed. You left your jumper in the bubble. You haven't been able to stay on the court since. And while LeBron has some availability issues with some injuries as well, he's basically the same player. He's Competed for the scoring title, and he's still very, very complete at the game of basketball. So, AD, you're the big thing that's changed. So, got to figure that out. But, yeah, LeBron and AD, if they're at full strength, if they can stay on the court, that's still a championship-caliber duo. You just got to build the team better around him. So, we'll see what happens with that in the offseason. But that's going to do it, man. We got playing basketball this week. The schedule Basically, we got games on Tuesday, Cavs versus Nets, Clippers versus Wolves. And then on Wednesday, we got Hornets versus Hawks, Spurs versus Pelicans. And then on Thursday, you got basically the remaining play-in games. And then Saturday, we got playoffs, man. Looking forward to it. Next week's episode, will be giving you guys playoff predictions, all that jazz. I'm out for now. Peace.